Well, thank you for joining us uh, for online church this morning. And would you open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 38? We're continuing our series on history or his story, where we take um, the story of God's love, grace, redemption, forgiveness, and restoration, and we connect it to our story. Uh, we went through uh, God's story of creation, how we're made in God's image. Last week, we looked through Exodus, and we saw how God delivers His people. And today, we're kind of going to go through the chronological line of Israel, and we're going to go through um, the exile and this uh, period where the people of God, they were booted out and kicked out because of their sin and their uh, syncretism, meaning that they mixed in the worship of God with uh, pagan practices. It was God plus, that God wasn't enough, and um, that series of sin led them into exile um, in, by Babylon. And we're going to go to Jeremiah this morning, and we're going to be talking about um, sorrow and God's hidden work in sorrow. That God does something special in our hidden life where nobody really sees and uh, the role of uh, suffering and grief and sorrow that we go through um, through the book of Jeremiah. And this morning we're actually going to uh, highlight uh, this series with a story from a dear sister in our church, Felicia Lum, who's experienced um, a great deal of loss and suffering, but also there's an outpouring of God's mercies and comfort in her life. Why don't you uh, prepare your heart and let's take a look. I'm Felicia. I'm a mom, two boys. Um, I work in town. Most of my time is spent with Chris at basketball games or practices. I attend New Hope Community Church with Pastor John and Renee and the rest of the family there. Ten years ago, because um, that's when everything happened in the ten-year period, and then um, my dad got sick, he passed away. I took care of my mom, and she got sick, she passed away. Um, and then I also lost my sister after my dad. Um, because she was sickly, so she passed away. So this is like from a 10-year period back. When my husband passed away, he, um, he passed away from a brain tumor that he had. It was cancerous. Well, I woke up in the middle of the night uh, to do my devos. I think it was like 2 in the morning. I couldn't go to sleep. And I was reading my devos and just the voice, you know, I was crying and just asking the Lord, how am I gonna move on? And, you know, and I just heard a voice and I know it was the Lord's voice. Just hearing his voice and seeing his fingerprints on so many things, I know that he was always there. My oldest son, Blaze, um, graduated from Kamehameha Schools in 2005, and then he wanted to go off to college away from the state, so he attended Seattle University for the next four years. 
And then he came home for about a couple of years uh, to help take care of my mom. And so he had an opportunity to go to NYU for two years. They gave him an internship for two years. Um, last year, May, we went up for his graduation. And when we went up, he wasn't feeling well, like he had a cold. And I said, I think you should see the doctor. He said, I did. They said, I have pneumonia. So, you know, on my medications. I said, okay. So when he came home in June, um, he still had a cough. He still had the sniffles. And I said, you know, I think you should see a doctor here because you're not getting any better. So he did. And long story short, he didn't have pneumonia. He actually had cardiomyopathy. And then two days after that, he wasn't feeling well. He felt nauseous. And I woke up the next morning and I found that the Lord had taken him home. Now losing my husband was hard because he was my husband. But to lose a child, it was the hardest thing for me. And people would ask me, weren't you angry at God? Why he took your husband and he took your son. And you know, I was never angry at him. I was never angry because you know, the Lord, the Lord giveth and he taketh away. And please, yeah, he was my son. I was his mom, I was his earthly mom, but he actually belonged to the Lord. You know, the Lord has just taken me through seasons, a lot of winters, a lot of winters, but he's never left me. He's always shown his fingerprints and everything. One night I was praying, I said, Lord, I just want to hear his voice. I just want to hear his voice. And one night when I'm ready to go to bed, I hear his voice. He says, hi, mom. You know, so the Lord has been showing me in so many ways, like, hey, I got him. I got him. So there's hope. There's hope in everything. Because Jesus is hope. Jesus is hope. He gives you hope in everything. And, you know, I'm just so blessed by family and friends who just support me, too. When Blaze passed away, I'm, I had our church family um, calling and visiting, bringing meals. Um, my friends that I've had for 20-plus years, they took turns spending the night so that Chris and I wouldn't be alone. You know, I mean, just the support, people that that showed Jesus to us will probably hit winters again. But I know for sure, Jesus is for sure. I mean, He has never left us. Even from the loss that we have had in the past 10 years, um, He has never left us.
Ooh, wow, wasn't that just an amazing story of um, God's faithfulness and uh, Felicia's um, resolve and her resilience to follow the Lord no matter what. Quoting Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, this morning uh, we're going to be talking through uh, the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 38. Jeremiah is actually a man that's familiar with sorrows. Um, just to give you guys some context and some background, the prophet Jeremiah comes a hundred years after the prophet Isaiah, and it's the second longest book in the Bible, next to Psalms. Um, now, in uh, Jeremiah, the prophetic book of Jeremiah, the major prophet, it has more biographical information about the author, meaning Jeremiah, than any other book in the Bible, uh, probably even more than uh, some of Paul's letters, as intimate as they are. Um, and he led a leadership role in the country, and he was in the ministry for 46 years. Can you imagine that? In Jeremiah chapter 1, um, God calls Jeremiah unto himself, and he says, I love these words, from the womb I knew you. So before he was even born, God predestined and God called Jeremiah unto himself that he would raise Jeremiah to be a prophet. So from a very young age, um, Jeremiah had a sense of God's calling in his life. Um, and he served faithfully for over 46 years, uh, a long time, and he was in the midst of a very spiritual mess uh, and they were headed for disaster of being wiped out by the Babylonians. And he lived through it all. You know, he came from a very religious family, respectable, uh, poor, but very um, uh, just pious and righteous family right outside of Jerusalem in a small village. And uh, as he was called by God, we're going to read here, um, he was probably in his uh, early early 20s or late uh, teens, um, and um, God called him to speak and embody the truth in the midst of this situation. And for the 46 years that he was in ministry, um, he suffered a lot. Um, I think what really brought it home about Jeremiah was when in Bible college, I took a class on um, the prophets, the major prophets. And Jeremiah is the only book in the prophetic literature that his 46 years of ministry, there's no account of a convert. Can you imagine that? That there's no uh, written down account of him leading someone to, to Yahweh to worship the living God. You know, Paul served faithfully, but... Um, he did miracles and all the apostles, he did all these great things. And, you know, uh, if you look at Jonah, who was a, a prejudice, right, uh, who was a bigot, he leads a whole nation and causes a revival in his bigotry. And here comes uh, Jeremiah, who's faithfully served the Lord, but yet he served God in hiddenness, in obscurity, in difficulties, and hardships. Uh, he was a man of sorrow. 
He's much like Jesus in Isaiah 53, where Jesus is a man of sorrow. This is who uh, Jeremiah was. He was poor in the 46 years of his ministry. He was isolated. He was hated. He was rejected. He was misunderstood, and people completely ignored his warning. Uh, they threatened his life. They locked him up in prison. He's called the weeping prophet, a man that's familiar with sorrows. You know, he was uh, suicidal and a lot of bad days, and he rants. Uh, he has a lot of rants against God, and he curses the day he was born, kind of like Job. Um, he's depressed, uh, but I think we could see uh, a faithfulness to who Jeremiah was. So in Jeremiah 38, we come to this crucial point where we talk about the hiddenness uh, of his, his life and what God has done and what, how God works in the hiddenness in our lives, especially through times of sorrow. So Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 1. Let's go ahead and read it. Shabtaiah, son of Matan, Gedaliah, son of Pasher, Jehuqul, son of Shalamiah, and Pasher, son of Malkijah, heard what Jeremiah was telling all the people when he said, This is what the Lord says. Whoever stays in the city will die by the sword, famine, or plague. Whoever goes to the Babylonians will live. They will escape with their lives. They will live. And this is what the Lord says. The city will certainly be given into the hands of the army of the king of Babylon, who will capture it. Then the official said to the king, this man, referring to Jeremiah, should be put to death. He is discouraging the soldiers who are left in the city, as well as all the people, by the things he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. He is in your hands, King Zedekiah answered, so the king can do nothing to oppose you. So here comes Jeremiah, just this uh, prophet of God, you know, the old saying, uh, don't shoot the messenger. He's just a messenger of God's word. Whatever God speaks to him, whatever God downloads to him, he just um, uh, transmits that and he just reports it to the people. And here's in verse six. So they took Jeremiah, put him in a cistern of Malkijah the king's son, which was in the courtyard of the guard. They lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It had no water in it, only mud. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud. Jeremiah sank down into the mud. If you could imagine, it's the 6th century. Babylon has become the superpower of the world. Um, so they're uh, the present-day Iraq right now. Uh, they're conquering the whole world. They're marching on down for years now, and the, they've conquered every place. And the last place they're conquering now is Jerusalem. And here comes the people of God, completely surrounded. They lay siege, meaning nobody in, nobody out. No food, no water, no help, no sanitation, um, Nothing in, nothing out. It's basically a battle of attrition to, to try to starve the people of Jerusalem into giving up. And the people, uh, Israelites, are very proud, the Jews. And um, they felt like they were the people of God, that they can't surrender to this pagan king. 
And Jeremiah says, no, 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 God told me in a vision, God spoke to me that, hey, we, we are to plant, we are to establish our roots here, let our, our, our children marry, uh, pray for the shalom of Babylon, pray for the peace of Babylon, and the people of God and Israel did not want any of it. And so he basically becomes Benedict Arnold. He basically becomes a traitor to his people. And, and they lower him down this cistern. Now, a cistern is like a, it's like a deep, dark, like underground cave. that Usually, um, it's used to catch rainwater so that people have something to drink. So if you can imagine, it's this pretty ginormous cave. And they lower him down and... Jeremiah doesn't know what's going on there, right? It could be filled with water. He could drown to death. Uh, he could get hypothermia. Um, and he's lowered down. Thank God there's no water, but it is mud. And someone notices and said, Hey, the prophet of God is there. We need to do something. So it had to take 30 guys to get him out, 30 people to get him out of this cistern. And... What I love about Jeremiah is that the mission still stays the same. That even though he was persecuted by his own people, even though he was um, suffering for doing the right thing, being faithful to what God has called him to do, doing all these different things, it did not allow the suffering to change his course, to change his mission, to change his heart. He was completely self-aware. It's like, this is who I am. I may not be the most popular. I may not be, uh, you know, have inst you know, thousands of Instagram followers. I may never be featured in the Instagram page of preachers and sneakers. Um, but because Jeremiah had this secret life of um, hiddenness, we could almost say obscurity, that he was faithful till the end, that he's, he stayed the course, that he was completely okay with who he was and what God has called him to do. And here's the main point I want us to walk away with uh, today. I only have one main point. It's this, embrace God's work in the hidden life. Let me repeat that for you guys. Embrace, welcome with open arms, God's work in the hidden life. You see here that Jeremiah, he was able to go through ups and downs. He was able to go through different kings, different monarchies. He went through, you know, 46 years of ministry and he didn't stray away. He didn't um, walk away. He didn't fear. He didn't suffer any mission drift because he had developed years and years and years and the track record of faithfulness, of serving in a hidden life. There was no glitz. There was no glamour. He didn't do it for the gram. He didn't do it for the Twitter followers. He didn't do it for the likes. But Jeremiah followed the Lord in the difficult season. 
He had a depth to his character in obedience ever since he was young to follow the Lord even in what seems to be in obscurity where no one noticed, where his um, ministry was somewhat private in that sense, but Jeremiah was able to follow through. Think about the life of Jesus. You know, we don't exactly know per se, but, you know, it's pretty good guesstimation that he lived up to be 33 years old and he did three years of public ministry. If you think of the life of our Savior and how he lived as a man of sorrow, he was rejected, but also he lived a hidden life. Think about it. Only 10% of his life was in public. The 90% of his life, um, with the exception of a little, you know, he taught uh, at a synagogue when his parents went to dedicate him, you know. Um, for the most part, his life was relatively silent. Nobody really knew he didn't, you know, there's uh, apocryphal um, or extra biblical literature that, you know, records that he did miracles, but it's probably not accurate. But um, he lived pretty much only 10% of his life was in public ministry. I think so many times we, we wait and we dread and we resist and we suppress um, these ordinary times. We look for the times that are the extraordinary. But may I tell you guys that God is in the business of the ordinary. When we are faithful, Jesus says, in the small things, in the everyday things, in the daily things, then we, be, we can be trusted in the great things, in the big things that God has called us to do. So I don't know where you're at this morning in your stage of life. Maybe you're empty nester, your grandma and especially during this time of um, COVID and isolation. You can't really see your grandkids. Everything's through FaceTime. But may I encourage you, never confuse hiddenness with insignificance. Let me repeat that. Never confuse hiddenness with insignificance. Don't make the mistake uh, when we think that just because something is unseen, we think it's unimportant. I would venture to say that the things that are unseen are the most important. So if you're just at home, loving on your kids, trying to teach them through distance learning, maybe you're a grandparent it's unseen. It might seem like it's you're you're in obscurity. You're not in. You don't have a. You don't have a platform. You don't have. Um, you're not highlighted. You know, and uh, maybe during this time, especially we haven't had in-person service. You haven't been able to minister, and do ministry, and be in front of the crowd or be in front of people. 
But don't make the mistake to think that the unseen is unimportant. Jesus talked about it, right? In, in uh, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, that when you pray, you pray in secret. When you give, give in secret. When you fast, fast in secret. And three times, Jesus says, when you do that, your Father who sees in secret, He will openly reward you. Maybe you're a student here this morning and, you know, um, or maybe you just graduated and you're at an entry-level job. You're just the gopher. You're at the bottom of the pole. May I encourage you to embrace God's work in the hidden life. Don't strive for the spectacular. Don't try to hit for home runs. Stick to the basics. This is why we push for devotions, that daily time with God. This is why we push for prayer and silence and solitude. This is why we push for Sabbath, where you are still before God, where we embrace our limits and understand who God is. And as we bring this to a close this morning, I can't help but think about um, Felicia's testimony of the grief and the sorrow and the suffering that she's gone through and the loss. And yet through all that, the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies has been there where uh, she's weak. God's grace is made perfect and He is strong. Um, and we connect that to Jeremiah. From a young age till the very end, um, he stayed faithful to the course it seemed like the more he went on, his unpopularity continued to grow. He was laughed at. He was rejected. He was misunderstood. He was pushed aside. He was um, ignored. But yet, uh, God used him, used him mightily. And if you want God to use you mightily, be faithful and be steadfast in the everyday, what seems to be like mundane things. Get into the rhythm of spending time with God. Go before the Lord. Remember 21 days of prayer, the ACTS in, in prayer, the acts of prayer. Spend time in adoration of God. Confess your sin. Thank God and offer your supplication. Devote yourself to fellowship, gathering together. Allow God to um, work uh, the work of heart in you. Uh, the Bible says, don't despise small beginnings or humble beginnings, for God delights when the plumb line is used. In other words, God takes pleasure in just the small step of obedience that you're doing. And so, uh, as we do that this morning, I want to pray for us. And we invite God's presence to lead us. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of those who have gone before us, O oh Lord God. 
who may seem like they live the life of obscurity, but yet, O oh Lord God, we thank you that they have done significant work in the kingdom. Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen the work of our hands, uh, the little things, Lord, um, whether it's preparing a meal for our, our children, whether it's um, taking time to pray or do homework, whether it's helping a neighbor, um, whether it's just uh, faithfully doing our work or for all the students, just getting their schoolwork done, those research papers taken care of. I pray, Lord God, for grace upon grace and strength upon strength. Lord, we thank you, O Lord God, that every season of our lives you are faithful, that there has never been a moment in our life that we have been unloved, that your love for us is constant. So, Lord, I just pray a, especially, a special prayer for those, Lord God, who are going through loss, who are going through hardship, who are experiencing sorrow. We thank you, Jesus, that you are a high priest that have experienced all of that, O oh Lord God, that you are a man familiar with sorrow. And I just pray, Lord, that you would minister and that you would build up your people right now. Lord, we um, pray, O oh Lord God, that we would have this God-sized vision, Lord, to, to finish well, Lord, that we would have a resolve, a, resolu a resolution, Lord, that we'd be resolute, Lord, to finish well to what you've called us to do. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.